As I begin my own spiritual journey, I want to hear from those who have taken this path before me. This podcast focuses on them and listening to their stories, uninterrupted. My name is Hiba Masood, and I invite you to reflect on the trajectories of their lives and the guidance and blessings provided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala along that journey. Sheikh Nu Saunders grew up in Philadelphia, a place he describes as having a lot of Muslims, but very little Islam. As a teenager, he lacked good suhbah, the right kind of friends. But one day, he heard a recording of a khutbah by Sheikh Abdurrahman Sudalani in his grandmother's car and broke down in tears. Sheikh Abdurrahman, whose grandfather was part of the first Muslim community in Philly, talked about the challenges of growing up as a young Muslim in the city, something Sheikh Nu could relate to. A month later, he met Sheikh Abdurrahman, who became his mentor, teaching him akhidah, introducing him to Imam Amin Muhammad from Atlantic City, and taking him to meet Habib Omar during his 2011 visit to the United States. For the past eight years, he has been studying in Yemen. His kids are still there while he is taking a break to study Quranic recitation in Lebanon. He recently founded Dar al-Qura, an online institute dedicated to connecting youth, particularly in the inner city, with the Quran. His plan once he returns to the United States is to expand into a boarding school, inshallah. In this episode, he talks about the importance of meeting people where they are when giving da'wah, the tarbiyah, spiritual mentorship of the scholars in Yemen, and the need to instill prophetic character in children. so alhamdulillah i grew up in philadelphia um philly is a really strange place it's a lot of muslims there um but no islam at the same time right so basically i was born into a muslim family uh, my grandparents were the first muslims in my family to convert to islam and uh we were i would say we were religious um i remember growing up <clears throat> um going to like mcdonald's i wasn't allowed to eat the chicken or the beef because it wasn't halal. I had to eat like um, the, the fish filet if we went to McDonald's. And I just remember growing up early on, my uh, grandparents, like anytime a new halal restaurant opened up in Philadelphia, um, you know, we would, we would try to go there and, <clears throat> and eat halal food. So, you know, I remember like uh, early on growing up, um, you know, I was raised by my grandparents, alhamdulillah. And, um, you know, my grandmother used to recite Ayat al-Kursi over me as I was younger. And, you know, my grandfather, you know, taught me how to make salah and all these different things. And alhamdulillah, but that was in the house, right? So the house was a beautiful Muslim environment, right? And, um, you know, I, I benefited a lot. And that's probably what put me on the path that I'm on today. Just, you know, just having that strong foundation. But... Outside of the house, that was a completely different story. So I grew up in an area uh, in Philadelphia called Germantown. And within Germantown, you have like these uh, sub-communities. And I'm from an area called Haines Street. My neighborhood, alhamdulillah, it was, it was you know, it was an ajib neighborhood because a lot of us were Muslim and a lot of us weren't Muslim growing up in that neighborhood. But um, I remember uh, when I was around 13 or 14, 
I used to walk to the masjid and um, I would go to the masjid, but there would there was nothing there, right? So I would go and because I was raised Muslim, so I would go, I would look for things to do, but no one was there. And then when you would try to like maybe ask for a job or something like that, the the elders in the masjid seemed kind of bothered with it, like, you know, like, you know, go home. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So just walking back and forth, I'm walking through my neighborhood and, uh, you know, my friends, they know me from living in the neighborhood my, most of my life. And they were saying, you know, come chill with us. And um, so I would sit, I would chill with them. And, you know, I just, unfortunately, I got on the wrong path because, you know, sohba, you know, companionship, you mm-hmm. become who you hang around. And, you know, even though like some of my friends were Muslim, but you know, unfortunately, like it really took me down the wrong path, you know, and all of that is Kaya. And, you know, and my first years in Darul Mustafa after coming from Egypt, I, I was, I didn't understand why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took me through that path to, to go through the streets, to, you know, um, have the experiences that I had to see the things that I've seen. And then, you know, years later, when I look at the da'wah that I'm doing, I really see the benefit in it. So, you know, it it was it was a beautiful experience and you know now at this point in my life i don't regret it at all so you know i i really i got caught up in the streets and you know i remember my father um alhamdulillah man, may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just increase him and and raise him you know he played a major role in my life um you know he i remember he used to just really tell me like you know you can't you can't have the streets and try to do good because the thing is when you have that strong foundation uh growing up in the muslim household what happens is so i noticed that my friends would do things right but i would never go as far as my friends when they would do certain Mm -hmm. things right so like for example if they were about to go do something that was illegal like i would be down but only to a certain extent like i can't do that i'm muslim you know what i'm saying so you know my father used to tell me like you can only do right or wrong there's there's no one between you know, and I see a lot of people right now in that state. It's like they're like in between. They want to be Muslim, but they also want to do what they see everyone else doing, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that's really like my, my, my foundation. And it really, if you, um, you know, the da'wah that I'm doing that, you know, I'm just blessed to serve, you know, when I come to America to be able to serve like some of the brothers that I serve in, um, in Atlanta and in Philadelphia and in D.C. Really, I'm, I'm in the inner cities really trying to you know, just prevent them from going down the same route that I went down, you know, so that was really the path that I took, and alhamdulillah, I remember I spoke at Nabi Allah Hood, and um, it didn't hit me until I I was speaking in front of Habib and the other Habaib, and um, people always ask, well, what made you get on this path to seek knowledge, right? (laughs) So I just remember one day I was at work, and at this time I had braids, and you know, I you know, I was trying to become a rapper and but at this time I was trying to like really shift and um you know get out of that stage that I was in from um living the life that I was living and something just hit me and it's in a book called uh Adabu Salikul Marib, the etiquettes of the of the seeker that sometimes out of nowhere Allah just places this desire in your heart to just become a good person and the first thing i did is i just was like look my hair i'm like i have all of this hair on my hair i need to cut this off this isn't the way that a, a muslim is supposed to look and it just started with that and then yeah i mean shame for shame step by step i just started going to juma and then you know i remember one ramadan i just was like i want to pray 
all of my five salats this Ramadan. And then the next thing you know, like, alhamdulillah, by the mercy of Allah, I never stop praying, alhamdulillah. Um, you, you said kind of this phrase, um, there's a lot of Muslims in Philly, but there's not a lot of Islam. Can you expand on that? No. Okay, so um, Philly, right? So what you have in Philly, so growing up, I remember anyone who was born Muslim and lived in Philadelphia, it, we had like this, what we call the golden era, right? Where there wasn't a lot of Muslims, right? But the Islam, yani, it was there, right? So I remember like during uh, Ramadan, we would like iftar jump from house to house, right? And what, what happened is when it became so many Muslims, it was almost as like, it's like we lost that connection and now what you have is you have people, right, who embrace Islam. I could tell you a story. I was coming home one day from my cousin's house, and I'm walking down the street. And one of my friends from my neighborhood, he's like, hey, yo, can you teach me al-Fatiha? So I'm like, yeah, I'm about to go home. I'm going to rest up. And when I come back out, you know, I'll teach you al-Fatiha. So the same person, <laughs> he sees me. And like, I, like when I come back out, he's like, yo, we about to rob somebody. You want to come with us? That like that's the Islam that we have in Philly, right? It's <laughs> like you know, teach me al-Fatiha. That's cool. You know, I'm Muslim, but I'm also going to go do this illegal activity, and and, and it's a reality, you know. And you know, that's what I mean by we have so many Muslims, but you know, Islam is missing. And when I say Islam, I mean the real, the real. Because I'm not going to say that these people are not sincere because I really believe, wallahi, that they are sincere people. And I believe that they really love Allah and they love his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I, I believe that with my whole heart. But I believe that there is a disconnect between, you know, being re like your religion and your deen. So mm -hmm. their religion is Islam, but they, they're missing that aspect of this being a way of life. So that, that's what I mean. Like, you know, so for example, in Philly, you can go to Philly. And I remember one time I was uh, getting on the bus and I seen a guy, he had like a beard, long beard, pants above his ankles. So, you know, of course I say, Salaam Alaikum. He goes, oh, I'm not Muslim. <laughs> so this is, this is Philadelphia, right? So you have non-Muslims wearing beards and pants above their ankles because, you know, it's the style there. <laughs> so, but yeah, as far as my grandparents, uh, definitely for sure. Um, you know, I remember um, growing up, my grandma, she used to have like all of the neighborhood like kids in my house and she would teach us about like the jail and about, you know, just read different hadith to us, read to us about the the, the sifat, the, the descriptions of, of paradise, the descriptions of hellfire, things like that, you know, so those things kind of stuck out to me, you know, mm -hmm. and then like, for example, my grandfather, alhamdulillah, he's, he's known in the community, um, you know, someone who you know seeks knowledge someone who learned how to recite the quran so yeah for sure like they definitely had a huge influence on me you know even to this day you know my grandmother alhamdulillah like even after all of these years of studying right my grandma just just maybe six months ago started asking me questions here and there <laughs> so <laughs> so but so yeah and still they still you know they're you know they're my grandparents and alhamdulillah uh, just the other day my father you know, my father is kind of like, you know, he sees it a little bit more because he's younger, obviously. But, um, you know, he called me and someone had some questions about Islam. And, you know, he called him and was like, you know, talk to my son. And, you know, he got on the phone. He's like, all right, son, do your thing. You know, so, you know, they're starting to see a little bit like, okay, I've been over here, you know, eight years now. I kind of know a little something. So, alhamdulillah. <laughs> 
Um, so you talked about this this kind of feeling um, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed in your heart to want to do good. How did you get from that place to wanting to really seek knowledge and, and get involved in studies? So, <clears throat> la ilaha illallah. All right, so the story is ajeeb jitten. I guess it's so strange. So at this time, um, so basically, so I want to make a, a statement first um, that a lot of times when I go home and I do dawah, I try to visit people who are in the streets. So like people who are still selling drugs and I try to sit with them and have breakfast with them. And, you know, just for sure, I have to say like uh, the brother Suleiman Yassin in Atlanta, he is the backbone of my dawah because I'm over here. So he's over there doing the groundwork. And but when I come home, the doors are open because he's on the ground consistently every day, mm-hmm. you know, putting in the work with these young brothers. But, you know, I understand where they're coming from because I was, I had to make that transition. Right. Right. So at this particular time in my life, when I, I it's a very confusing place to be in because you want to do good, but you you just don't know how. Right. Mm -hmm. And the hardest thing for someone coming off the streets to do is give up making that kind of money every single day. And I was kind of going through a transition where like, I was like, okay, I'm done. And, you know, and it's very hard, you know, for making, you know, a decent amount of money every day to just depending on a paycheck, you know. Um, now I'm studying overseas and I don't even have that, right? So, alhamdulillah. <laughs> so, but alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is amazing. So, what happened was I was, I remember I was, um, the car that I had was in the shop and I was in my grandmother's car. And um, I just, I, I wasn't in the mood to really listen to rap music at the time. And um, I, I looked around in my grandmother's car and I was looking for like, you know, a lecture or something. So I, I just popped in a lecture and I was listening to it and I was driving and um, this brother was speaking and it was so amazing. And he was speaking about, um, you know, there are Muslims now in our city who are telling you that, you know, um, your parents and your grandparents are, are deviant and that they're not practicing the true Islam. And he was going on and it really touched me coming from a Muslim family, right? And I understood the context and what he was speaking about because it was Philadelphia. So it, I broke down and started crying. And I remember my grandmother told me a story when she went on Hajj and she heard the, the khutbah and she started crying, even though she didn't understand Arabic. And at the time, I'm just like, I had no idea what she was speaking about. How can you cry from that, right? And I remember I, I called her crying and I just was like, subhanAllah, he really touched my heart. So about, I would say a month later, I went to Juma and uh, I was listening to a khutbah and I'm like, subhanAllah, this dude is killing it. Who is this dude? And I'm like, this dude's voice sounds super familiar. And I'm like, wait, is this the dude that made me cry? So I'm like, Khaya. okay. So in Philly, what we have is like, we have um, these like traditional African-American soul food spots. It's either across the street from the masjid and in this particular case at Frankfurt, Masjid Taha, there's a, there was at the time a, like a traditional like soul food restaurant under the masjid. So I knew, I mean, According to our culture, that's where you go after Juma, right? <laughs> so I, I, I went down there and I waited for him and I sat directly across from him. So I sat and I looked at him and he looked at me and it looked like he was, he was expecting me to have questions. So I said, uh, excuse me, may I ask you a question? And he said, yeah, go ahead. So I said, um, did you give a khutbah about how your grandfather was the first Muslim in Philadelphia and he had the first Eid at his house? And he said, yeah. 
And I looked at him and I said, you made me cry. That was the first time that ever happened to me. And he took me by my hand. He said, mashallah, what's your name? So we started speaking. And, you know, we still, I think we talked for about an hour and a half. And I asked him, I said, you know, because sometime before that, I remember I, um, I told my grandfather that I wanted to become an imam, right? <laughs> and he kind of laughed at me. <laughs> he was like, well, you can't become an imam. Uh, I remember I told everybody and everyone laughed at me because if you knew who I was back then, you're just like, yeah, right. So, you know, he was like, you need a teacher. So I looked at him and I remember making dua and I asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to send me a teacher. And I asked him right before we parted ways, I said, will you be my teacher? Will you teach me Islam? And he said, yes. So that Sheikh is Sheikh Abdurrahman al-Sandalani. So alhamdulillah, at this time, I think people kind of know who he is. Uh, he hasn't been doing much lately, but alhamdulillah, we're, we're still in touch. And he's, you know, mashallah, he's, he's like a brother. So he always says he's like a brother to me, but he's really like a second father to me, you know. And um, alhamdulillah, that was the beginning. And he, he began to teach me aqidah. In fact, he's the one who told me about Habib Ammar. He had just came from Yemen. I, he was talking, I remember in the khutbah, he said, I was just in Yemen. And I was with the Sufis and my eyebrows went up. I'm like, what? I never heard anyone say anything like this before. He's like, oh, Wallahi, I've only seen from the Quran and Sunnah. So he was the one who told me about Tareem and about the Habaib. And I'm just like, and taught me about the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah and my Aqidah. And you have to follow a method. And SubhanAllah. And that's really how it started. And I remember um, it was Ajib because of him teaching me about the Habaib. I remember one night I was just up you know, watching YouTube video after YouTube video. And I seen this video of Habib Ali al-Jifri and he was in Syria and the Sheikh was speaking and I can't remember what he was speaking about. I don't remember if it was subtitles or not. I just was watching. And just the akhlaq, the etiquette mm. of Habib Ali in that video. I just was like, halas, these people are on the hawk. <laughs> like, I, I want to be with these people. These people, whatever they're on, Wallahi, this is what I want. And I didn't know, I just, Wallahi, that's how important good character is. Wallahi, Allah, And it was from there, I was like, I, I made intentions to, to study in Tadeem. And, um, but, you know, I continued to seek knowledge. I continued to, you know, I studied with him. I took what I, what I, what I could from uh, Sheikh Abdurrahman al-Sandalani in terms of the Aqidah, alhamdulillah. And I learned a lot with him to the point to where when I got to Tadeem, I really didn't need to study Aqidah because I was kind of like maxed out. And then um, he introduced me to Imam Amin Muhammad in Atlantic City. And I really wanted to study Shafi Fiqh and Imam Amin really took me, you know, just took me under his wing. And I remember just sleeping in the masjid and, you know, Imam Amin, if anyone knows Imam Amin, they knows when like outside of Corona, Imam Amin travels, right? So just taking those road trips with Imam Amin and sitting with him and seeing him teach, you know, I think I may have benefited from more from the way that he teaches and his, his seriousness in terms of delivering and conveying sacred knowledge. I, I've probably benefited from just watching that more than anything that I may have studied with him. And, you know, so that was really the start of it. So that's like, you know, studying in America. And I had a friend, his name is uh, Hanif Abdul Ali. He's, you know, a member in America. 
he had came to me one day and was like, yo, I'm thinking I'm going to go to Egypt. And he started talking to me about it. And I, you know, I'm skeptical. I'm like, you know, bro, you need money for that. And he's like, no, we can go over there and we can teach English. So I'm like, nah, I'm, you know, I, I have a family. I can't just pick up and go. And then, you know, we started talking about it, talking about it. And, you know, an idea became a reality. I eventually saved up money. I went to Egypt. I studied Arabic. And, um, Alhamdulillah, that was really the start. And um, in between that time, Habib had came to America. And I remember I went, and matter of fact, it was Abdurrahman al-Sandalani. I was on my way to work and he called me and was like, what are you doing today? I was like, I'm on my way to work right now. He was like, ah, I wanted, I wanted to take you to Maryland to meet Habib Ali. I said, I'm calling out Allah, not Habib Ali, Habib Omar. I called out of work. I'm like, look, I can't come in today. I got something going on. I went straight to go see Habib. And I just remember the next day after seeing him, the state, the spiritual state that I was in, I just was like, there's something about him. And, and you know, just looking back at everything and my relationship with him now, you know, I deep, it was like he pulled me to Tareem, you know, just with his gaze. And, you know, so sometime after that, I got in touch with Sheikh Yahya and he was able to put me in touch. We have a monthly meeting with Habib online. And I eventually took the, you know, the, the bayah with Habib Omar. I went to Egypt and, uh, you know, I had some situation in Egypt. I got, this is a funny story for your podcast. Basically, I got, I got arrested in Egypt. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, hey, listen, so I, it's crazy. So I'm in Egypt and um, I'm, there's a brother we met while in Egypt who was working in the school where we taught English. He was from Pittsburgh. So that night we went out and, you know, it was at the time, it was like a lot of just political turmoil. They were trying to get rid of Morsi. And I had my passport with me. Now, this brother is a beautiful brother, good brother. He's American, but he's originally, he was born in America, but he's originally from Egypt. Okay. So when they seen that I had a beard and I was with an Egyptian, they're like, Halas, like you're with the Ikhwan, you're going, you're going to prison. So I'm like, la ilaha illallah. So I'm in prison. Um, alhamdulillah, my friend Hanif, he gets a message to Habib Omar. And then, um, alhamdulillah, Habib Omar gives me a bunch of other cards to recite. But look, look at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's plan. The whole time I was in Egypt, I was asking Allah to give me a way to get the tarim. Right? Because I'm like, I want, I'm happy to be in Egypt, but I really wanted, I wanted to be in tarim at the time. So I'm asking Allah, begging Allah, night and day, oh Allah, open up the doors for me to go to Tadim. I get arrested. I'm in an Egyptian prison for 10 days. And, you know, they deport me to America. So I send a message to uh, Sheikh Amin Buxton. And I'm like, look, can you just ask Habib what I should do? Habib said, come to Tadim. Within, I think, the next eight months, you know, I packed up my stuff and I was in Tadim. And that's how I got to Tadim. Oh man, that's such a great story. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even believe that. Um, sorry, just to backtrack a little bit, can you just explain what the bea is and, and like yeah, yeah, that's cool. that point? So, so basically, the, the bea, well, we don't, in, in, in the Ba'alawi path of spirituality, we don't call it the bea, we call it the ahad, which is taking a vow. And really, what it is, is I think the best way to explain it is when you take a you take a vow with a master of spirituality that you surrender yourself to him that you're going to allow him to guide you 
in this dunya so that he can guide you to the akhirah. Mm-hmm. He's going to guide you to Allah. So for me, I don't do anything except that I ask Habib for his permission. Anything. Except that I ask Habib, what should I do? You know, and, and, and you know, and this is something that, you know, it, it takes a while to get there. But when you understand the benefit in it, you know, because, you know, what's the point in having a spiritual guide if you're not going to surrender your affairs to him? And that's really the best thing that any of us, for me, I just look at it like, look, I don't want to make any mistakes. I give it to Habib. And so that's what it means that you listen to the Sheikh. He tells you, you know, different things that you can do on a day-to-day basis to help you get closer to Allah. That's taking the day out. That he'll tell you, okay, in the morning, recite this, 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 and this. You know, if you're having a difficulty with something, he helps you and he guides you through that difficulty. Beautiful. Uh, thank, thank you for explaining that. Um, okay, so you get to Tareem. Can you, can you just describe Tareem, like when you first got there? What was your impression of it? Um, yeah. What stood out to you? It was very, very hot. It was, <laughs> um, so, the, so I got to Tareem and I just remember it was because I was coming from Egypt. So the way things worked in Egypt was we would sit, we would study, we would have one class a day. And that class was two hours, you know, Arabic and Naho, Arabic grammar. And then we had the rest of the day to review and do whatever we wanted to do. So it was, it was pretty easy. And alhamdulillah, I had a good teacher who really would, you know, he was, mashallah, the way they give tarbiyah is different, spiritual, like disciplining is very different. He just was very shadid about working hard. He was really serious about, you know, you have to do review, you have to work hard. But I still had that free time to do what I wanted, right? And I didn't have like a, a very intense schedule. So besides the heat, so I get the Tareem and it's a, it's a, it's a very different atmosphere in Tareem. So you get there and I think trying to remember my first, like my first week. So I got there on Yomul Eid, on the day of Eid, and there was a gathering and, you know, it was just, you know, different. So I remember we, I went to the gathering, I sat with some of the brothers who were from the West and alhamdulillah, it was, it was good. But overall, in terms of like, once I kind of, like the first few weeks, it was, it was very difficult because you're talking about not just getting up for Fajr, but <laughs> staying up after Fajr. And I'm like, okay, khayat. And not just staying up after Fajr, but also so you have three classes after Fajr. And I'm like, okay, this is, where's the time to do review? What's, you know, I didn't understand what, what is going on. I'm like, okay, this is a lot on me. And then you get maybe a three to four hour break and you have to come back after Vohar. And then after Vohar, you have a class. And I'm like, wait. And then after Luhar, okay, you get a break. And then Habib, he has his general class at, at Asr, which is called the Roha. And I, I couldn't keep up. You know, it took me a really long time to understand what was going on to just understand Tareem because it's a, you know, Tareem is, I like to call it a washer machine. You know, because that's what, it, what, what happens is you, mm-hmm. you know, I, like, I remember uh, when Ibn Ali came to Tareem, I was like, he was like, I want to come here. And I'm like, bro, everybody wants to get in the washing machine until, the, until you, like, you start getting washed, bro. <laughs> like, trust me, because it's a place of just tarbiyah. You just, Allah's purifying you, right? Mm-hmm. So can you imagine doing, so this is just the basic schedule. 
but yeah, your electric is off for four hours at night and it's, you know, it's, it's extremely hot. You know, it's, it was, it was really difficult. And I'm like, subhanAllah, I don't, I don't know, you know, how I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. And, um, I went home for a visit, uh, a few months in. And I remember, um, right before I, I was to return to Tareem, I had a dream about Habib and in the dream, um, Habib, we were walking and we were in Dada Mustafa and like, there was like a bunch of turmoil and he looked at me, he said, just stay home. And so I get on a flight to go back to Tareem and I get to the Emirates and they're like, you can't go to Yemen. And I'm like, what are you, so I'm going back and forth. Like, they're like, you speak Arabic. Why do you speak Arabic? I'm like, okay, why do, why do you speak English? You know, like, I'm going back and forth <laughs> with these guys. I'm like, because I didn't understand what was going on. I'm like, okay, listen, why I have a visa, you know, I'm coming from America, you know, we went round and round. They finally, they sent me back to America. The day I get, uh, the day I land, um, I think later that night, you know, I get a message that basically they stopped all flights going to Yemen. So clearly, like, somebody knew something was going on, and they didn't want an American mm-hmm. going to Yemen before the war started. But alhamdulillah, I eventually, got, I, I eventually got back. But, you know, I think that if I didn't have that time off from Yemen, I don't know if I would have been able to adjust, because that time back in America, I had time to really reflect on the schedule, how to, and, you know, you really have to adjust your lifestyle. Like, that means that you have to go to bed you know, nine, nine thirty, no later than 10 o'clock. You have to get up before fudging, right? So what it's doing is it's training you and it's breaking you to become prophetic. You're not going to leave Tareem except that you leave prophetic. You're not going to leave Tareem except that you're on a prophetic tartib. And if you're not on a prophetic tartib, or excuse me, let me, tartib is schedule. If you're not on a prophetic schedule, right, you're going to know what a prophetic schedule is. Right. And you're going to desire to be on that. So that was really my impression of Tareem is like, even if I don't study anything here, if I just walk away with like having this schedule for my everyday life, Alhamdulillah, you know, it is, that's really what I like my, like, you know, my first year, I would say that for me, it was just understanding the spiritual methodology of Tareem, which is you have, you're not going to obtain anything from Tareem except that, you are at least on the schedule. When I say, say schedule, I don't mean that you have to do all five classes in Adar and Dar Mustafa, but that you are up before Fajr, right? Prepared to go to Dar Mustafa to pray. And that you are doing your Adhkar in Adar, and that by 9 30, 10 o'clock, you're getting ready for bed. Then, okay, once you get that down, then the next thing I learned was Adab. A lot of Adab, a lot of Adab. I was, I was just speaking to someone today and I said, I was, you know, I was, someone had said something to me on Twitter about the class that I'm teaching. And I'm like, look, I'm not really into debating, you know, and early on, like if anyone knew me from like when I first started studying, that's all I did was debate. But, you know, alhamdulillah, my years in Tareem, I'm like, I remember uh, one of the uncles of Habib Omar, they seen me and another American brother walking down the street and they asked, he said to us, he said, do you know the three things that you obtained from Tareem? And we said, yeah. So we, we tried to answer. We said, Alum Saluk and Dawah, knowledge, uh, knowledge uh, spiritual application, and calling to Allah. So he said, he said, no. He said, to adab, to adab, to adab. But you learn adab. That is the most important thing you'll take from Tareem. So my impression of Tareem was just like, 
I'm going to, inshallah, I'm going to at least walk out of here on a prophetic tartib and having adab. Because that, I promise you, you'll learn adab and tarim. That is, yani, like, if you don't walk away with knowledge of fiqh or knowledge of tasawwuf or knowledge of, of sirat and and you're going to get all of that anyway, <laughs> right? But the one thing you're going to get is adab. And one of the things that I really admire about Sheikh Yahya, Sheikh Abdul Karim, Sheikh Ibrahim, is that when I look at what they're doing, I never see them break the adab. And for me, doing my dawah, I just look and see, okay, Sheikh Abdul Karim doing that or Sheikh Yahya doing that. You know, so those are the two main things I would say that, you know, my first impressions of Tareem, even within like the first month, I would say, okay, this place is really hard. And I had to take that break in order to kind of regroup and then, you know, really start to benefit from Tareem. Beautiful. Um, this is kind of piggybacking off of that. Can you just talk about some of your teachers, what you learned from them, and, and sort of the impact they had on you? Mm, subhanallah. So we'll start with uh, Abdurrahman and Imam Amin. So with Abdurrahman, I know, I know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent him because if I had went to Tareem straight from the streets, it just wouldn't have worked, right? So with Abdurrahman, you know, he's African-American, but he is, you know, Masha'Allah, he spent his whole, like, he, like when you hear him speak it, like, like till this day, when I speak to him in Arabic, he just puts me to shame. He learned Arabic at like 14, right? And he learned Arabic in like 40 days doing a, an, a, a dawah trip. So he's just khas, yani. he's just a really, really special person. And his Quran recitation, his recitation of hadith is just beautiful, right? But I remember, you know, he... he you know, even though he didn't, uh, he's from Philly, but he grew up in the Bay Area. But he understood me, at, you know, coming as an African-American. You, you understand what I'm saying? Um, and I remember, like, going out with him. He'd be like, uh, come outside. We're about to go get something to eat. And that was his way of teaching me. He would take me to maybe, you know, get something to eat and then start explaining bits of the, uh, of the Akira to me. And I remember I would come outside with, like, a T-shirt and a fitted hat. And he'll be like, did I buy you a kufi? Go put your kufi on. Take that fit of head off. So, you know, it was the beginning of learning. Like now I don't, I can't leave the house without a kufi on. You know, that was my understanding. You know, um, it, it just, you know, I learned a lot just how to be a practicing Muslim from him and have how to have a Muslim identity, you know. Um, and I learned a lot from him as well in terms of adab. A lot of the things that he said, it didn't really sink in until I received tarbiyah while I was in Tareem, but just really amazing things he would say to me that to this day, it just really, you know, it sticks with me. And as far as with Imam Amin, you know, one thing that, you know, if I call Imam Amin right now and I just, you know, just to catch up and, you know, I'm like, you know, how are you doing? He'll just always remind me, don't forget, you got to come home to your people lot. Like, you know, he's just <laughs> consistently reminding me. You know, you're not going to be over there forever. Get what you can get. And you got to come home and you got to do the dawah. You know, it, it, that's, if you look at, I mean, right now, if you look at him on Facebook, it's like every time, like when I go to sleep, he's given a class. And when I wake up, he's given a class. So it's like, you know, I'm like, I can't, I can't keep up with him. And I promise you, I remember, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad, someone from, I'm trying to remember, someone from, Allentown. It wasn't Shigah yet. Someone from Allentown came to visit me in Tareem. They came to Tareem for a visit and I had them over my house for lunch. And we both said the same thing about Imam Amin. 
we've seen from him يعني, the sifat or like the, the, the character traits of the awliya. I've seen mm-hmm. him drive from Atlantic City to Albany, New York. I don't know if anyone knows how long that drive is. That drive is so long. First, I'm sorry. He came and picked me up from Philly. I was home visiting. He came and picked me up from Philly, drove back to Atlantic City. We picked up some books and was like, what you want to read on the way there? We read a, a few hours. I'm like, Shake, I, I, I need some sleep. I slept, like I would say, a lot of the time. I'm, he's driving. We get there. Sheikh Sam al is there. We pull up. And I'm like, Sheikh, I'm ready to go to bed. He's like, you're not going to do your work? <laughs> you know, it's like, subhanAllah. <laughs> and you can't keep up with him because he's driving. He's doing his afkar. He's sitting in the, And then we sit with Sheikh Samad all day. We do Arba'in Anawi, the 40 Hadith. And then he's like, all right, we got to go to Newark. I got to give a class. I mean, just, wallahi, I'm like, where he gets this energy from? Allahu Akbar. I don't know. I mean, seriously, it's like, Subhanallah, and everyone who, who, who knows him, this is who he is. And this isn't like a one weekend, this is him every single day. You know, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just increase him, inshallah. But I really learned like that aspect of the da'wah, like you can't get tired. You have to go call people to Allah, no matter what, from everywhere. You know, I seen Imam Amin to, you know, his masjid in Atlantic City. The first time I gave a khutbah was in Atlantic City. He prepared me and trained me. Um, you know, so to, he gives he gives dawah to the African Americans, to the Pakistani community, the Arab community, everyone. You know, it's not like you know I can only give dawah to these people. No, Imam Amin Wasia, he's he's he, he'll give dawah to everyone. So I learned that from him. You know, and then when I got the Tareem, um, we'll say what I learned from Habib, yani at the last because he still continues to teach me you know, to this day, just, and, and very subtle things as well. But I would say that in Tareem, I benefited from a few people. So what I decided to do when I, when I went back to Tareem the second time was I spoke with Habib and I said, look, I can't do that schedule with a family. It's just, you know, you're, you're trying to like review, get ready for class. And your wife is like, you know, we need potatoes. And you got to hire someone <laughs> to get potatoes. It's impossible for someone who's married to do that curriculum and, you know what I'm saying? It's very hard, you know, and I even spoke with some of the Habab about it. And there are brothers who do it, you know, and there are. And may Allah subhanahu, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward them, right? But me, I just, I wasn't able to do it. So I asked Habib, can I kind of focus on a few subjects and, you know, kind of cherry pick a few things? And he said, he said, yeah. And one of the things I focused on was uh, the life of the prophet, you know, something that I was, uh, one of the students from the UK gave me advice. He said, focus on the areas that you're weak in. Mm-hmm. So for example, if you studied a lot of fiqh back home, you don't want to waste your time studying fiqh because what if something happens, you have to go back home and you just repeated subjects over and over again. You don't want to do that. So I was like, okay, well, I know I'm good in Akita and I know at least my fiqh will worship really well. So I was like, but I'm, one thing I didn't study back home was uh, the life of the prophet, so I really dedicated myself to that. And I remember people used to like make fun of me. Now, like, alhamdulillah, a lot of people are starting to see like, that's really what we need. And um, I, so I studied with a sheikh in Tareem, Sheikh Munir Bazul here. And I used to sit with him in his office. And he is, mashallah, I mean, I believe that he's from the awliya and the salihin and the arafin and, you know, just 
multiple stories I can tell. I don't even know if it's appropriate for the podcast, but it's like, man, he is amazing. If, I mean, we were just speaking, like, there was a group of students on my Facebook just speaking about him. But I remember just specifically in terms of just the etiquette of a Tola with him, like the etiquette of a student of knowledge. I remember I came and I was, I was speaking with him and we were reading and um, we were reading something about the life of the prophet and about uh, the skin color of some of the Sahaba. And I was mentioning like, you know, about the color of the Sahaba being a dark skin. And, you know, he, we started speaking about race and he said, listen, he says, someone who is consistently speaking about race like they have a very small intellect and the thing is so me saying it it probably won't affect anybody right because who am i i'm, I'm unpurified but when sheikh Munir said that it put me into a state and i couldn't stop thinking about that and i'm like you know what how much time and i'm speaking about myself my like a lot of the things that i struggled with in Tareem because i was coming from america i was coming from a place of like just racial tension i mean it's not as bad as it is now but just coming from that environment working in corporate corporate america before going to to egypt you know just experiencing certain things you know you have that mentality and i just started to think about if you really want to be prophetic you can't see race. And this is for new. I'm not saying that everyone has to think like that. You asked me, what, what did I obtain from my teachers? And just that lesson purified one aspect of my life for me. And for me, it was, I don't see race anymore. And I know some people like, you know, may not understand that, but it's like, listen, when you want to be prophetic and you think about what it means to have an ittibat, a complete following of the prophets of Allah Does it mean that we ignore that, you know, these issues don't exist? No, they exist. We know that, tabah. You see it all the time, right? You can't ignore it, it's there. But does it mean that I allow it to affect me? And the thing that I took the most is that this idea of black, white, you know, whatever it is, is it's a disease of the heart. That if I think that, okay, I'm African-American, so therefore I'm better than such and such because they're a different race, that is a deficiency in me. You know what I'm saying? So for, and that was for me. And that, you know, because in, in my opinion, that was something that I truly needed to work on. And, you know, I always make this joke with uh, Sheikh Musab. Um, always like we're at his house and we you know we have jokes we're friends and I you know I always say you know you're my best friend my best friend is white you know I can't be racist you know it's a joke but you know seriously <laughs> it's some of the people I benefited from the most in Tareem where you know I mean if you look at Sheikh Yahya if it wasn't for him I probably you know just my understanding of the methodology of Tareem you know Sheikh Mossad when I first got to Tareem just showing me different things consistently showing me like what to do and what not to do in front of Habib Umar you know, that was a blessing, you know, so it's like, I was away from that tension and that, you know, consistently hearing those things. So, you know, what this, that one piece of information just changed my whole perspective and my worldview on race, because, you know, I just want to be prophetic. I don't want to be, you know, this person who consistently I'm obsessed with this particular issue. Um, an another teacher I benefited from was uh, Sheikh Ali Bafaldo. So Sheikh Ali Bafadun, we studied fifth, and he's uh, from amongst the Fuqaha and Tareem. And, you know, he comes to my house every day at Dhuhr, and we study fifth. And um, it's Ajib because he, he taught my kids how to read and write Arabic as well. 
And he's just, you know, he's been in Tareem his whole, his whole life. He's studying in Darul Mustafa. He's a direct student of Sheikh Omar Khatib, who's basically um, one of the, the, you know, the lead uh, jurist in Darul Mustafa. And, you know, so he, he's, alhamdulillah, he's, he, you know, he, he's solid in his knowledge. But you would think, like, you know, I've, I've mastered fiqh under him. No, I, I, you know, alhamdulillah, I studied Muqaddim al-Hadramiyya and I, and, I, and I, you know, I studied the, the explanation with them line by line. You know, people were asking me, what's taking you so long? And it's like, bro, studying with Sheikh Ali is not just studying fiqh. It's like, I'm getting Sirat al-Nabawiyya, I'm getting akhlaq. He's explaining the menhaj of Habib Omar, telling me stories from years in Tareem, you know, before like even uh, Sheikh Ibrahim and Sheikh Yahya came to Tareem, he's telling me these stories and I'm benefiting. And it's like, you know, I walked away from that understanding the methodology of Dara Mustafa. So for example, we spoke about saying names when you, when, when, if a scholar makes a mistake and you go to correct that, do you say his name? No, he said in this minhaj, this minhaj, we don't say names. We don't call people out. We, we don't just attack people. And that's what I benefited from. I learned the methodology of, of uh, you know, of Daru Mustafa, of, you know, how to actually be a student of knowledge. You know, a student of knowledge, does, he just doesn't say, he may know, uh, for example, the class that I'm teaching on the 12th with uh, Dr. Shadi, is in terms of the, the Ahruf, the seven Ahruf, there are, there are over 40 opinions. Do I teach every single opinion or do I just teach the main opinion? Because the thing is, a lot of that is rooted in nafs and ego and to show off and say, look, I know this opinion and this opinion and this opinion. You give the people what they need and you, mm-hmm. you, you give them what they can benefit from, you know, and, what, and that's what I really learned from Sheikh Ali Bakhaldun. And, um, you know, obviously, like, even now he's like, we're still in touch because my kids are still in Yemen. I know we're going to talk about that later, but, um, Alhamdulillah, I, I just benefited from just like, you know, him taking me out. I remember one time we were on, uh, he were, we were on his motorbike. He was taking me to get bookshelves for my books and someone was staring at me. And he, he looked at me, he said, listen, if someone stares at you like that, he said, the way to protect your heart from iron, he said, say, mashallah, then recite Ayat al-Kursi. You know, like you're not going to get that in a book. <laughs> you know, you're not, you're not going to find that in a book. That's, you know, people who have been in Tareem their whole lives set with the ulama, set with the awliya, and they understand these things. You know, those are the things that I really can say I benefited more from the men and just those side conversations than what I've benefited from the explanations of books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, we'll, we'll speak about Habib. What did I learn from Habib? I would say that my first... I don't think that Habib started actually giving me attention into this year, right? So I remember, uh, like, I mean, I was in Tareem for years, and Habib would still ask me, Masmuka, Manway, what's your name? Where are you from? So I'm like, SubhanAllah, I just, I, I've spoke to Habib so many times, and he still asked me, what are you, you know, what's your name? Where are you from? But what I learned from Habib is, you know, Habib teaches in a way that, you know, it, it, it almost can't be explained. But... I would say that what I learned from Habib is, you know, how to be a man. You know, my father taught me, but Habib just took it to a whole nother level. Like, you know, don't make excuses. You, you can't make excuses for anything. Anything, any, any, listen. So if, I'll give you an example. I remember I went to Habib and I was like, Habib, um, I'm, I'm having some financial difficulties. Can you make dua? 
And he looked at me and he said, Hattakara Surah Waqiyah. He said, are you reciting Surah Waqiyah? So the Hadith says the one who recites Surah Waqiyah, then, Allahumma sallallahu alayhi wa Muhammad, the one who recites Surah Waqiyah, then um, poverty won't enter into his home. So I said, Aywa. he said, are you reciting it after Asr? Because that's our tradition in Tareem, is to recite Surah Waqiyah mm-hmm. Asr. I said, that's the time that I, I recite Quran to say Ali Ba'alu. And he looked at me, he was like, he almost frowned his face and was like, takes five minutes to recite Surah Waqiyah. <laughs> it just crushed me. And I'm like, subhanAllah. And I just learned, like, just no excuses no more. Halas, it, you know what I'm saying? It, it's very subtle, but I want to uh, just mention one point that I've, I've benefited from so much on my da'wah trips is, um, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Every year, I'm blessed to be in Habib Omar's house when the different tribes of Yemen come to visit Habib. And this is a tradition that they have that the you know the various tribes from Yemen they come and they visit the the Ahlulbayt that are in Tareem to keep their connection and to let them know that you know we're together. And I remember <clears throat> you know just seeing these interactions. So you would have basically Bedouins coming in there with guns, big guns, and you know it's a qasida being recited. And they walk in, and in the middle of the qasida, Salaamu alaykum. And I'm thinking, subhanAllah, oh my God, they don't have any etiquette. And I'm thinking that Habib isn't going to respond because if a student of knowledge was to do that, Habib would just turn his head or not respond, right? Mm-hmm. Habib looked at him and he said, alaykum salam. <laughs> Almost like completely ignored that he broke etiquette. And what I learned from that was you meet people where they are. You don't expect a better one to be like a student and you don't expect the student to be at the level of the sheikh, right? So I, I understood these things like subhanAllah. So when you go home to do dawah, you can't expect when you go and, for example, if there's someone fresh off the streets, you can't expect to, for them to know how to sit on the floor, how to eat with their hands, all of these different things, right? So I say that to say there was a, a dawah trip that I had and uh, Suleiman Yassin was like, look, I'm going to bring like basically like the main drug dealers in the neighborhood over. I want you to give dawah to them. So the uslub that I took or the, 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 the way that I did things, I was like, all right, look, just don't bring up Islam. He was like, all right, cool. So they get there, like his wife makes like a beautiful breakfast. And, you know, I remember like we we're in the car and I was like making jokes and I'm like, is this your hood? I'm like, man, your hood look like the suburbs because the South is different from Philly, obviously. And they were <laughs> laughing, you know, and, you know, they were like, my, you know, and they, they, I just wanted them to know that I come from where you come from. Right. And I learned that from Habib. You don't want people to feel like this is, you know, a brother. He, he lives overseas. He can't relate to me. I don't even know why I'm having breakfast with him. And, you know, we were I even asked. I was like, you know, um, you just asking random stuff like you. Know, I'm like, is T.I. really from the hood? You know, just, you know, just trying to connect to them in that way, you know. And they were, you know, it was talking to me. And then um, we sat down, we had breakfast. And I remember the one brother. He was like, I can't really get comfortable. And I was like, what's wrong? And then he like basically whispered to me like, you know, I got my gun on me. So I was like, just take it out. So can you take it upstairs? And he was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, no, sit down, just eat. And after that, wallah, like the whole, everything changed. He was like, oh, I like this guy. And just because I didn't judge him. Mm-hmm. And we sat, we ate. And then we prayed Lohar. And then Soli was like, can you give just a, some, a few words? I talked, gave a few words. One of the brothers asked about coming to Tareem, right? And then when we went to drop the other brother off, he said, can you come 
to the trap house. So the trap house is the house in which they use to distribute narcotics, right? <laughs> so he goes, can you come and give dawah to us? So I said, I would be honored to go there and give dawah. And I went in there and, you know, I, I, you know, I, I just told everyone, you know, it's not too late to make toba. You know, I just gave a basic, you know, but just the fact that Allah, Allah pulled me into that space to give dawah to them, you know, because without that training from Habib, I would think, subhanAllah, I might get arrested if I go there. I, no, but you can't always bring people to where you are. And I've I seen that with Habib Omar. And that sometimes you just have to come down and really just meet people where they are. You know, and, and that's the things that I've learned from Habib. And, you know, I think that the main thing is that you consistently have to, you, you cannot stop working on yourself, not for one minute, no matter what happens, no matter what calamity befalls you, no matter what happens. Yeah, I mean, like Habib is consistently asking me about, you know, how's your studies going? You know, um, you know, I, so I, I'll give you an example. And the main thing, the main thing I think that Habib is really concerned about, and when people ask me um, about my organization, Dar al-Qur'an, and I always say I'm just focused on children, Wallahi, it's from Habib, it's not from me. Um, the focus that Habib Omar has on my kids is, you know, it's beautiful. And, you know, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect and preserve that. I, I made Umrah. And I, you know, so I came from Beirut to, Allahumma salli Muhammad. I went from Beirut to Mecca. And um, so, but I, I arrived in Jeddah, Jeddah airport. And alhamdulillah, I was able to get in touch with some of the brothers I knew who were in uh, Mecca, some of the, the Ahlu Bayt from, yani originally from Tarim, but live in Mecca. And they picked me up. And, you know, I haven't seen Habib Omar in a few months, you know, and they were like, look, Habib is, is here. We're going straight to a medulla. So I went from, Jeddah. And for me, I just was like, subhanAllah, my first time and, you know, about to go make Umrah and I'm being welcomed by the children of the Prophet. <laughs> it's nothing else. In my mind, I'm like, it's nothing else better than that. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we're, you know, we're about to go to see uh, Sayyidina Habib. So I'm like, Hajib. So I see Habib and the first thing he says to me, not like it was almost like very uh, very direct he said you didn't go get the kids did you did you because he had just came from jordan so i said nah. i said they're still in terrain <laughs> and he just looked at me and said he smiled he said when are you coming back so it was basically like you know we had you know you told me the boys were staying in terrain you know my three sons and i'm like yeah Habib, i didn't go i just i just was making umrah because i'm so close and it's easier you know from yemen and alhamdulillah with like with the new uh visa situation so, but, you know, but what I learned from that, and when I speak with my sons, is that if you can capture or if you can deposit in the hearts of young people, when I say young, I remember Sheikh Abdul Karim, the last time I was, uh, I seen him in Tareem, this is right before I went to Beirut, um, I said, you know, I want to bring kids, excuse me, maybe 15 years old, you know, when I get done studying, like open a school, kids 15 years old, he looked at me and said, no. He said, you got to get them before that. He said, even before 13, you know? And so what I see with my children is that, you know, they live in their school. Even while I was in Tareem, they lived in their school. And I literally had to get permission for them to come home on the weekends, right? So just basically surrendering your kids to the awliya. And what I, under, what I see the growth in them over these two years, being in an environment, getting up every single day, 
before Fajr, an hour before, doing athkar, all of the athkar that, that are in the khulasa, praying Fajr and Jamal, yani, doing the athkar after Fajr, and, you know, studying Arabic, see, listen to these stories. This, they're being raised in an environment that I can't give them, mm-hmm. right? And I think that in order to move forward, yani, with the Af- especially with the African-American community to make, you know, real solid changes in our neighborhoods is we have to take a group of them, and I got in trouble last time I said take, so let me say this. We need to request that the parents send their children with their permission to the school, yeah, the boarding school, to change the environment, that they're in an environment where they're up before Fajr. And I, I've really seen Habib, the way that he's like, you know, you, uh, you're you okay, but the kids, that's what we really want. We really want the kids. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm okay with that. You know, so for me, that's I would say that and so out of all the people who have influenced me, clearly, and everyone who's a student of Habib was going to say Habib Omar influenced them the most. But, you know, those are the things that I really took from Habib is that I think moving forward in terms of da'wah is that we really have to focus on the children. And when I say focus on them, we got to take them out the environment that they are in right now and completely remove the phones from them, remove the laptops from them, and just drill them with tarbiyah and tazkiyah to well, by the time they turn 19, I only the Just being someone that studied in three and was having your kids study there with you, was that like pretty much a given or was there like a longer decision-making process in that? I taking them to Tareem with me? Yeah, or, or just, you know, having them study from like a young age. No, I, I've actually been telling my kids since the day they were born, you're like I've been telling them like, you know, you guys are special and you know, like, and then as they got older, um, you know, and like, you know, when I got on the path, clearly I started telling them 100% that, um, you know, you guys are going to be scholars, mm-hmm. you know, so they've been drilled with that, you know, since mm-hmm. I can remember. Even now, I remember um, a few years back, um, maybe two years, about two years ago, because they've been in school for two years now. Uh, the first time I had to go and do Dawa in America, and this was going to be a longer Dawa trip, and I spoke with Habib about it, about three months, and um I remember my, my sons were like, man, we got to stay in the school without you. You know, like no weekend breaks, no PlayStation on the weekends, you know, because that's what like that's their whole like the maksud, like their whole goal is like we do really, really good in school. So we can just get one day at PlayStation and like, you know, and fast food from the stores outside of the school. And I remember I told my sons, I'm like, listen, Habib Omar has said on several occasions, America and the UK are going to become Muslim countries. You guys are going to do this. You have to stay. I'm just going to go prep everybody for you guys. <laughs> Not about me. You know, I'm too old. It's about you guys. You know, so for me, it, it wasn't really a, a, a hard decision. Really, one of the things I heard one of the last trips I was home is, you know, people are like, Yellow, when are you going to open up the school? We want to send our kids to you. People, I think that people want to send their kids someplace. You know, and that was my thing. I never, even though, even when I was into the streets, I was kind of, you know, they say, the, like, back then we would say conscious, and now they say woke, but, you know, <laughs> I, I, I never trusted the government with my children. I always, they were even homeschooled before we went to Egypt. It's just, nah, I can't, I, you know, for me, it wasn't a hard decision, you know, and I know that sometimes, like, in the beginning, more so my grandmother, she kind of, um, you know, it was like, you know, they should be in school, they should be learning things. But now I think that, you know, and I think that a lot of people, you know, 
may go through this, but I think that people see now, like, subhanAllah, like, I'm really happy, especially with the current climate of everything, they see that, you know, I'm really happy that they're over there. So for me, I th- I didn't have a problem making a decision. I was like, yo, let's go. The, for me, to be honest, I, and I have to be real, putting them in the school to, and, you know, we were already in Tareem for a few years, but putting, putting them in the school to where they had to live and, you know, only seeing them Thursday, they come home Thursday morning and they stay at night and they leave uh, Friday at Asa. It was, it was really hard on me because, you know, like I'm really, really close with my boys and it was, that one was a tough decision, but I knew it was the most beneficial decision. And if you listen to them now and, you know, you have that conversation with them, you're like, okay, these guys are, alhamdulillah, we, we need that. We need them to be there, you know, so alhamdulillah. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you got to Beirut and and just in general as someone studying, like how COVID has impacted your studies? Okay. So um, I was in Tareem. So one night I was, um, this is a really ajib story. I was trying to talk to Habib for days. So I go in and my friend Asadullah who studies with Habib privately, I said, yo, is Habib coming tonight? He said, yeah. I said, bro, I really need to speak with Habib. And um, alhamdulillah, Habib eventually came and I sat with him. And, you know, I just was like, look, Habib, um, if you go to America and you want to study Tasawwuf, you go to Sheikh Yahya. Like you want to study Ihya or any of the books or the sciences of spiritual wayfaring. And likewise, if you want to know about fiqh, then you call or you message or, you know, you get in touch with Sheikh Abdul Karim Yahya. I said, but... Habib, when it comes to the Quran, there's no one there in America. So I'm asking for your permission to, to study Quran and to focus on the recitation of Quran and the qiraat. And he looked at me. So he was like, he looked at me, he paused, and he was like, marhaba. <laughs> like, basically, like, yeah, good, you got it. So we spoke for him, and I was like, you know, um, I was like, Habib, if I, I, you know, I was like, you know, with your permission, and I would like to go to Beirut and, you know, focus, you know, over there just for a little bit, you know. And he, so he looked at me and he said, So basically go to Beirut and come back after a little bit. So I'm like, okay, okay, I'll go. And I spoke with Imam Amin because Imam Amin studied in Lebanon. And, you know, I actually spoke with him before I, I talked with, I spoke with Habib. And he's the one who said, man, I got a party in Beirut, but you need to study with him. So I'm like, so he got me hyped. I'm like, oh, man, I need this. Because I was studying with Sayyid Ali Ba'alawi, but really what it is, is the environment in Tarim is so much going on from the Darus to the Mola to Jalisa to the, the, the Tafsir class. And it just was so much. I'm like, I really need to buckle down. And... Um, alhamdulillah Habib so I spoke with Amin like you know Imam Amin I'm like I'm, you know what do you think should I go he said yeah you should go so and uh, I spoke with Habib about it like I said Habib said go and uh, then he looked at me and he said in Arabic he said wa ulad which be in your children and I looked at mm-hmm. him I'm like um so I said to him I said tarim, excuse me al-tarbiyah fi tarim afdal min al-tarbiyah fi, fi Beirut so the the spiritual discipline that we have here in Tareem is better than the spiritual discipline that they have in Beirut. So he said, he said, they stay, you go. <laughs> so, <that> was, <laughs> so basically he kicked me out. And then the, the Ajib thing is, listen, I have been asking Habib for years 
for permission to leave today. I said, have you, even if you let me go to Turkey for a few months and then I'll come back, I just need a break from Tareem. Habib, this is so hot. I'm constantly dehydrated. Habib, please, no, no. I said, Habib, can I go to Mecca and study? There's a school there. I explained to him the school. This is so, it's a really, really good school. I can, I can go to the Molet with your brother. Like we have people there. He said, no, <laughs> literally no. So I'm like, okay, khaya. this is the First time Habib ever gave me permission to travel anywhere. Then the next, I think it was two days, it was three days. Fajr, we, we line up, we pray, and then we all line up to shake Habib's hand. Habib looks at me, he goes, you didn't travel yet? Which obviously I'm not going to travel in three days, but it was his way of saying like, get out and come back. <laughs> so alhamdulillah. So that, that was, you know, so I, I spoke with Habib um, while I was in Mecca, which was in January. And then Habib basically told me, um, he, you know, he asked, when were you coming back? Because there's an indication, you, you know, like, you know, get what you need and, you know, come back. But then a few months later, uh, so I messaged Habib and my intentions were to come back in September because there were, um, I'm really receiving a lot from the particular shit that I'm studying with there. And he's, he's uh, wallahi, mashallah, tayyib. Um, and, you know, I, I said, you know, I'll come, I'll, you know, my intentions were to get my sons let them have a nice vacation here in Beirut because I think they would really benefit from just, you know, the water and, you know, taking boat rides. And, you know, it's just nice here. It's, it's really good. It's a, it's a nice change from Tareem. Mm -hmm. And then COVID happened. So I was, you know, basically I was stuck here and, you know, I've been stuck here. And now the airports have opened up here, but the airports in uh, Tareem are still mm -hmm. not opened up. So basically after the Beirut blast, I spoke with Habib, or I sent a message through uh, someone who spoke with Habib, and the message was, you know, um, what should I do? Should, you know, because I don't know the current, I didn't know what was going to happen. Things were, you know, they were saying that, you know, when a bomb actually hit, we thought it was, I literally, uh, I ran out my apartment, mm -hmm. and um, I'm asking the neighbors, I'm like, you know, what's going on? And they immediately said, without no factual evidence, they said, it's Israel. So I'm thinking, halas, we're getting attacked. I need to go. So like, you know, I called my teacher and my teacher was like, he wasn't sure what was going on. He said, just leave, leave the house. So I went to a Starbucks that's near the, near the water, near uh, where the Mediterranean is. And I'm just like, look, the one thing I can do is I can just check Twitter. Twitter knows what's going on. Like, I hate to say that, but it's the truth. And I went on Twitter and, but matter of fact, by the time I got to the Starbucks, I had messages from my cousins and they was they would sent me links from Twitter showing what had happened. Ajib. Muhammad. So the message from Habib, because of that situation, I asked Habib, what should I do? And his message was, you know, um, if you want, you can go to Mecca and you know, reside there until the airport opens up and opens up in Tareem. Or you can stay in in Beirut until everything opens up. So, and he said, but with the condition that it's very easy for you to go to Mecca, that it's not hard on you to get there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as of now, I'm here, you know, I'm, alhamdulillah, I'm benefiting from, from, from my sheikh. He's, you know, one of the kibar, one of the greatest scholars in Quranic recitation from Syria, you know, currently living in Beirut. And, you know, the amount of knowledge that I've taken from him, just once again, when you think about the people of Quran, you know, uh, it's very few people that I've met 
that, you know, I'm really, really impressed with their etiquette outside of the people of Tareem. And Sheikh Bashad, the Sheikh that I'm currently studying with, he's literally from amongst the people I can say, like, he'll melt your heart. You know, you go to visit him and like, he has like ice cream and cake for you. He makes, you know, seriously, he's, mashallah, he's, he's you know, I remember once I, I tried to give him money, you know, and then, you know, mind you, he's, you know, he doesn't work. He's a sheikh, he, you know, and I just tried to give him something for teaching me. And he got really, really, really upset with me. He said, do you think I teach you for, for money? You know, and I'm just, but what was the lesson in that? SubhanAllah, the people of Quran truly want from, they, they really just want their ajr from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, it's alhamdulillah. So yeah, that's how I got to Beirut. And while I'm still here and, you know, alhamdulillah, still kind of benefiting from uh, the mashayikh here. Can you talk about the vision behind the Quran and sort of the reasoning behind having an institute dedicated to the Quran in the inner city? Yeah. So basically, Darukara, um, I started it while I was in Tareem. And I just, you know, I'm in Hajj and Tareem. It's just Ilm, Saluk, and Dawah. So the aspect of Dawah, for me, um, you know, I never really wanted to do Dawah until I think I was done studying. That's, that's kind of what my mindset was. Mm-hmm. And I remember... Um, I think maybe right before it all, like really, I really decided to do it. I was having a conversation with Sheikh Mossad while we were in Tehran. And he was like, you know, you really, really got to start doing it now, bro. You've been overseas eight years. There's no excuse. And I'm like, yeah, but I still need to study. I need to focus on memorizing Quran and, you know, the books. And he's like, no, 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 we, you got to start doing it, you know. And I was just like, Khair. So, you know, I sat and I spoke with Habib about it. And it kind of was just like, you know, you, I just decided, I sat down and, you know, I remember having this indication, you know, in my heart to focus on the recitation and my intellect is fighting my heart. I'm like, no, who does that? Like this, no one wants to hear about recitation or, you know, and I just was like, Halas, I'm going to focus on the recitation. And, you know, I remember I went and I bought a bunch of books and I started doing a lot of research and I said, okay, I see what I can do with this, you know, and I started really diving into like the science of, you know, Tejweed and Kira'at. And then I started to see like, okay, a lot of this stuff we don't have in English. We need, like, for example, I'm teaching this class on the Kira'at and the Aharuf because not as a refutation to anybody, not as uh, to refute Orientalists or anything like that. But I think that the average Muslim just does not know what it means when someone says I'm reciting in a different recitation, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's for me, that's how I kind of like, okay, I'm going to do this. And um, so, you know, the, the, the foundation of it is to really teach proper Quran recitation. And when I say proper, yeah, today I just recited to my teacher and, you know, alhamdulillah, he praised me and shamed me at the same time. <laughs> he, you know, he's like, alhamdulillah, wallahi, you got so much better so, but however, you, you still have mistakes. You know, with these men, you're never going to not have mistakes. But to teach that rule, like the serious, to me, this, and this is more, and this is, you know, no shot at the Egyptians, but for me, the, the Syrian way is, is, you know, I found it to really be the best way for me, you know, and I think that this is the, the path that I want to take to teach people the Quran. You know, and it's not that we're strict. You know, I think people mistake, uh, you know, being, you know, how can I say, we, we really are 
careful in the way that we recite the Quran to preserve the way that it was revealed versus, you know, trying to make it more melodious, right? So it can almost seem dry, but I've, there's a lot of Syrian Quran who recite very, very good. But, you know, to, but to take that, that intensity of really pronouncing every single letter properly, right? And mixing that with, because that is tarbiyah. You know, when I first came to Beirut, I remember I walked around, wallahi, and I looked crazy, but wallahi, I walked around saying, ha, 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 a whole day in the streets saying, ha, because I wanted to make sure that I was pronouncing the letter correctly. And I finally went to class and Sheikh Bashar was like, mashallah, you pronounced it perfectly. So, you know, but that is tarbiyah. That is, you can't focus, you can't focus on Twitter or Facebook when you're walking around saying, ah, ah, you know, because you want to make sure that you're pronouncing it perfectly because you don't want to have that mistake in class. You know, so just having that aspect of, okay, that's the M aspect, which is rooted, it's also rooted in Tarbiya because you have to focus. And the idea is to have a boarding school, right? A school where people send their kids to, you know, let's say maybe from the ages of 11 one up, right? Mm-hmm. And they same methodology as Dara Mustafa. Up before Fajr, pray Fajr, Afkar, then they begin their 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 halakatul ilman, their circles of uh, Quranic memorization. But my goal is that you have a lot of places where people memorize Quran, right? Mm-hmm. But I, my goal and one of the things like I was just telling my oldest son is that you know, it's not just about memorizing Quran, but it's about memorizing it with perfection mm-hmm. and not having any mistakes. And to me, I think that that is rural prestige, that when you go to lead the salah, that there's no mistakes in your recitation because you have, you have to work hard to do that. You know, that's not something that's easy, you know, and what it does is it really, it begins to break down the nafs. So that's my mission is to, is to have a boarding school where we and it's not you know the goal is obviously as an inner someone coming from the inner city being an african-american i definitely want my people to be a part of this because we need it really really bad but it's not just for african-americans it's for everyone because we're one right and everyone's kids you know even to the, the the immigrant community you know they're losing their kids to this new age stuff that's happening you know so just to have a place where people okay look you go there you memorize quran memorize the 10 variant readings of uh of of the 10 variant quranic readings and you walk away with knowledge of some fiqh and some hadith and you know but the main thing is that we want people to walk away with etiquette you know, there's no, there's, like for me, one of the things I learned from Sheikh Bashar, there's impossible for someone to really be, you know, to say that they carry the Quran in their heart and they don't have the etiquette of the people of Quran. So, you know, reviving the tradition that they had in Syria is that before they, me- before they memorize Quran, they have to study uh, Tibian from Imam Manawi, the etiquette of the people of Quran, which is really, really important you know, to teach people that book before they begin their, um, their journey of memorizing the Quran. Because, you know, the way that one of my teachers put it to me, you can't put pure water in a dirty vessel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So that's that's really the 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 goal, and to make it not just like um, the traditional, you know, you just memorize Quran, you memorize the the, the poems of Tajweed. No, but you know, when you get to the level after memorizing Quran, but you begin to study like books on Tadabur. So I've personally I've wrote a book on Tadabur, you know, um, which I compiled from different books that I've read. I've I, you know translated a few things and then explained it in my own way, you know, because people need to reconnect to the Quran. So teaching them how to teach people how to connect to the Quran. So, you know, just having these different things. And the main thing is just, you know, we want to produce good people who are going to go out there and, and do khair. And the last thing I'll say is that um, the, the purpose, so there's a law here in the Balkan to everything, an inward and an outward. And the, that's the outward, you know, the academic, memorize Quran, memorize the, the Ten Qira'ats, give people ijazah to connect them to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Those things are good, and we want that. But the real thing is that we want to be able to begin to heal people through the Quran, because the Quran is a shifa'a. And we want, we want to teach them how to heal people with the Quran. So one of the things that I asked Habib, how do I fix my people? How do I go back to my people? And they, we have so many problems. It's, I can't, I'm one person. And he said, it's, he said, it's easy. You just, you know, you get a core group of people. We do a khatam of Quran three to four nights a week and donate the reward to the souls of the city. He said, three, four years, you'll start to see big changes. You know, and to me, I think that that is the mission of Dar al-Quran is to, really just had that methodology that we're doing a khatam al-Qur'an every night and we're donating the reward to the people so that they benefit from it, so their lives start to change. And then when the students see that, they'll see the importance of reciting the Qur'an. Um, I just have one question, Shall we can close with this. How, how do you bring like this style, this, the etiquettes of studying, the style of da'wah, um, back here, back to the, the, the U.S. And, and um, how do you kind of instill these, these things that you talked about in terms of like not seeing race in like a place that's like so, like that's like constantly on the mind, that's constantly every, like things you see on Twitter, on Facebook, in person, it's like constantly there. How do you bring that concept of meeting people where they are, um, you know, all of the other, in a place like the room where, you know, most um, most people have the other. How do you bring that to a place that, um, you know, lo lots of people will lack that? Like, how do you no. kind of bridge that gap? No, no, no. That's a really important question. And um, a lot of people ask me that, right? So one thing that I always say is that uh, overall for the adults, I don't have the answers for the adults, right? <laughs> I, I'm just being honest, right? Because I, I really don't know. But what I do know is that but if we get these children and we teach them these things, right, this is what they're going to grow up on. Mm. They're going to grow up like, okay, like, for example, my, my sons are in a school with all Indonesians. They don't even know about what's going on for them to, you know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, they still know they're African-American, you know, they still know, you know, we like fried chicken, they like noodles, you know, it's just, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a reality, we, we have our own culture, it's okay, you know, that's, you know, and, and it's okay to identify as something, I'm African-American, even now in Beirut, it's like, you know, I have a friend who just visited from the UK, 
And I'm like, yo, last time you were here, you took me to a fried chicken spot. He was like cracking up. I'm like, come on, bro. You know, but it's okay. It's because it's okay to have your culture. But for them to grow up in an environment where it's like, okay, you're black or I'm black and okay, you're a white convert and your parents sent you to the school, but you're my brother. And, you know, when it's all said and done that, you know, I love you and you love me, call us. And what's, what's after that? You know, to, to, for them to not see those things, I think that it has to start young and it has to start with purification of the heart. It has to start with reading these, you know, the Quran does something to you when you read it consistently, right? It begins to remove these diseases that we've, you know, that we have in our heart, you know, and it begins to deposit things in our, in our heart as well. So I, for me, you know, the one thing that I can say that I can contribute to bring like this etiquette of Tareem and uh, the things that I've learned in Sham and just put it in one place is to just open up Dadul Qara and just ask Allah to just place that there, you know, because overall for the adults, I don't, you know, I have to be honest, I don't, I don't have the, the answers because, you know, once you, if you get a certain age and you don't receive tarbiya, you don't start, you know, disciplining your nafs and disciplining your soul, you know, it's all bad. It's, you know, you can't, it's hard to tell an adult that's bad etiquette versus telling a child, you know, that's bad etiquette. You shouldn't do that. You know, don't put your hand there. Don't, you know what I'm saying? These different things. Um, you, it's easier to do with a child than with an adult. And, you know, some people may say, I remember <laughs> one time I was visiting and then uh, I was telling my auntie about the school that my boys are in. And she said, you know, you know, you gotta be careful. They try to slide Arab culture in there with the religion. And I just bust out <laughs> laughing. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm like, the thing for me is like, they're Indonesian now. Like they're not even out of there. <laughs> Indonesian. I'm like, but, you know, some people may say, you know, are you teaching Arab culture? And I think that the only way you can understand it is if you live in the Arab country and you'll see that Arab culture has nothing to do with what I'm saying. And the fact that this is prophecy, this is that which was revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because Arab culture is completely, you'll find racism within Arab culture but you won't find racism in prophecy. And that's the main message of, it's not Dodo Qur'an, but the message of Habib Omar, which, you know, we're just, uh, you know, a product of Habib and his minhaj, is that we don't, you know, I don't teach that, I don't want that, and I'm not, you know, and I'm, I'm willing to stand firm on that, that no, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not racist. Are there racist people there? Yes, yeah, I mean, obviously. But, you know, but to, to really instill that in children, I think that that is the way to go. And I think that, you know, just focusing on the children, um, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad, uh, also focusing on like health, you know, in terms of like the way that they eat, I think is really important. You know, dietary health, teaching them these, these different things. I think that's really how we bring it. So now you have children raised like this. How are they going to raise their children? And I think that that's really, for me, you know, the, the, net, the, the way to go for Noor, I, I think that that's really what I want to do. And I think that if someone else has something to offer, and like they, some, I think there's brothers who work in the prison system, you know, or if uh, there are sisters who, who work with people, you know, everyone has their part to play. And I think that um, I was thinking about this earlier, 
is a misconception that I think a lot of people have is that the, first of all, we're not scholars. That's number one. Studying for eight years or 10 years, that, that, that doesn't make you a scholar. That makes you maybe an advanced student of knowledge, depending on how you spent your time while you were overseas, right? Yeah. I know people call it sheikh and, you know, but in reality, we're not scholars. And I'm not going to play that game like, you know, I'm sheikh or no, no I'm, I'm a servant and I'm here to serve, right? But they think that we have, people think we have all of the answers. And that's really not the case. And, and, and I had to come to grip. I don't, you know, I don't have the answers. And, you know, even when it comes to fit questions, I will rather call Tareem and get the answer versus me trying to remember what I studied in Muqaddim al-Hadramiya. Now, if you're going to question about Tajweed, this is something I do every day. Al-Quran, I got you. But, you know, hadith, those things, no, I got to know my place. You know, so when it comes to, like, for example, um, someone had asked me on Twitter, and it was a beautiful question. How do you deal with, like, single family households and trying to develop, excuse me, single parent households and trying to, you know, encourage people to have a, a household which teaches, you know, prophetic character? And what about work? And listen, for me, I don't have all of the answers, right? But what I do know is that, you know, I can, inshallah, build, establish a school that, you know, we can send our children to, to produce, you know, Qur'an, who have the akhlaq and the etiquette of the people of Qur'an. So, you know, I, I really think that people should understand that, like, you know, someone may be a trained faqih, like he's a scholar in fiqh, but it doesn't mean that he understands, uh, you know, everything. For example, asking a faqih about, you know, the environment. You know, it's like, you know, it's, I don't think that that's fair to, you know, put that on, on the scholars, you know, and I'm not referring to just this, but I, I was thinking about it earlier is that, you know, people want you to address the things that they want you to address and the way they want you to address it. And then when it's for, so that's why people are making mistakes and people are getting canceled, you know, don't ask someone something. And then when they answer it, you don't like the way that they gave the answer to the question that you asked in the first place. You know, it's, like, it's, it's, it's almost like an oxymoron. But yeah, for, for me, I think that, you know, my, I play my part. Like for your part, you do the podcast, which is beautiful. People need to hear the, the students and the scholars outside of a class to know like, oh, wow, this guy's very similar to me and it can really change someone's life. So I think everyone has their part to play. And I think that the one thing that we are missing is working together and reporting back to each other. Mm. In my opinion, I think that, um, you know, going back, so for example, you know, um, this is what you're doing with the podcast for you to connect with other people with a podcast and for y'all to connect with the, the scholars and, you know, this is what we're doing. And this is, you, you understand what I'm saying? Mm. And I think that to me, I see a lot of mistakes being made because you may see someone with good intentions and then they bring someone on their podcast that completely makes a mess. And had they been in touch with the Mashaif, that mess wouldn't have been made. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah, that's you know, that's for me, alhamdulillah, that's my um that's my take on it. It's just, you know, just I think that the way we can bring this back is just establishing institutions which we can take our kids and last time I said take our kids, uh, we can put our kids in these uh, institutions and raise them upon khayyat, inshallah. Oh. Thank you so much for your time. May Allah reward you and, and, and place Baraka and all the work that you're doing, inshallah. I mean, inshallah. Shukran, thank you for having me. I really, really appreciate it.
Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, man, so me, I believe.